Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. And so I don't doubt Thomas. I don't, I try to remove the word doubting Thomas because he only was looking for the evidence and he didn't trust the eyewitness testimony. And some of us don't trust the eyewitness testimony. Some of us don't trust even though we've woken up every morning in our right minds with food on our tables and clothes on our backs. Some of us don't trust because we've been protected from dangers seen and unseen. Some of us don't trust because we don't believe when it says that many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord will deliver us. Some of us don't trust even though we've seen that the Bible says that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Turn with me, if you will, to the gospel according to John, the 20th chapter, starting with the 19th verse. And when you have it, please stand. That is the gospel according to John, chapter 20, starting with verse 19. And I will be reading all the way down to verse 31. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Then that same day at evening, beginning the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe and after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them Jesus came the doors being shut and stood in their midst and said peace to you then he said to Thomas reach your finger here and look at my hands and your hand here and put it into my side do not be unbelieving but believing And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. 
And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God's word for God's people and God's people said, Amen. Hey man, for the, you may be seated, the brief amount of time that we are going to spend together, I want to talk a little bit about I need a witness. Amen. I need a witness. Uh, we church folks, so we hear, can I get a witness pretty often? Uh, we hear that as believers, we are supposed to uh, witness to others. But there's also another kind of witness. Uh, Say uh, you get called to testify. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Maybe for uh, an indictment or an investigation, uh, some sort of criminal proceeding. There are usually witnesses that have to testify to what they saw. I'm reminded growing up uh, watching the news And a phrase that stuck in my head over and over again. Marvin Zindler, Eyewitness News. We're familiar with the term witness. Uh, We hear it all the time and we hear it in court cases and we hear it now more than ever. Why? Because technology has improved. And in court cases, the reversal of criminal convictions. When there are court cases that are reversed, often the time has been because eyewitness testimony was a problem. A huge problem. Uh, There was a case I was reading about of a Kurt Bloodsworth In 1984, he was convicted for the rape and murder of a nine-year-old girl, and he was sentenced to the gas chamber. His conviction was based largely on the testimony of five eyewitnesses. But after he had served nine years in prison, DNA testing proved him to be innocent. Uh, There's a group called the Innocence Project, It's an organization that uses DNA testing to exonerate those wrongfully convicted of crimes. And it says that since the 1990s, when DNA testing was first introduced, 73% of the 239 convictions overturned through DNA testing were convictions that were gotten by eyewitness testimony. One-third of those overturned cases rested on the testimony of one or two or more mistaken eyewitnesses. Uh, There's research that shows that 75% of uh, false convictions are caused by inaccurate eyewitness statements. And this is attributed to factors such as memory decay, poor eyesight, induced stress, and something known as eyewitness talk where witnesses discuss what they saw with one another after the event and then change their minds about what they thought 
based on the statement of another eyewitness. I have some firsthand experience with that. I've had a pretty eventful life. Uh, and because I've had a pretty eventful life, I've been involved in one or two armed robberies. I was, uh, uh, back when I was working at a place called Prudential Healthcare, when it got bought out by Aetna, it was in Sugarland, and my mom worked there. And uh, Payday would be Friday, and so Saturday meant that one of my errands was I had to go to ATM machines to get some money out of both my account and my mama's account so we could, you know, run errands and do what we needed to do uh, for the weekend. And so I'd go to the credit union, because that's where I banked, right off of 59 and Williams Trace in, in Sugar Land. And, and on the other side of the credit union was, uh, uh, I think it was called Metro West Bank at the time. And so I went to my mom's bank, got her money out, because you know you got to get mama money out first. You can't play with nobody else's money. You got to get mama money out first. And then I went across 59 to the credit union, and lo and behold, the credit union ATM machine wasn't working. So I had to go back to my mom's bank to get the money out of my account. And on this Saturday morning, I came around the corner and uh, was getting out the car to park, and I might have parked illegally right in front of the door. But as I was walking up to go to the ATM machine, I heard some pop, 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 pop. And two enterprising young gentlemen was running out of the bank, shooting back at the people in the bank. Right in front of me. So I hopped back in my car, put that bad boy in reverse, or no, put that bad, hit, hit, hit the gas to go forward, but it's the feeder right there. And it was traffic. So then I put it in reverse and backed up. And on the other way out of the bank parking lot was the getaway car. So I hopped up out the car, ran into a neighbor's yard and called 911 while I hid. But that was not before I went back up to the uh, bank and saw that, you know, they had asked no questions. They just went in and started shooting, and, and I had a gun pointed at me. And he said, freeze, and I put my hands up, and then he said, call 911. And then I heard a shot. So I ran. So I know this eyewitness talk happened because as I spent time in, in the uh, Sugar Land Police Office, you know, they put us all in separate rooms and, and, and they started to press me on certain details. Were they wearing blue sweats or were they wearing black sweats? Was it a blue car or a black car? I said, I think the security guard shot at me. No, he didn't. He passed out from blood loss and, and, and uh, he shot into the ceiling. Well, what was the bullet hole in the glass for then? 
but eyewitness talk changed up the situation. And, then, and later on, I began to think, well, hey, wait a minute. Was I, was it a blue or black? Was it, was it, were they wearing ski masks or not? Was my information valuable or not? Because I could hear the policeman talking, we don't have anything. But eyewitness talk can sometimes change the people's mind. Uh, one survey found that 86% of real eyewitnesses claim to have discussed the event with other witnesses prior to giving testimony. Researchers say that this talking among eyewitnesses can result in a process called co-witness conformity, where eyewitnesses are influenced in, into including their statements into things that they did not actually see. And with all of that in mind, we come to the story of the resurrected Jesus appearing to the disciples when Thomas was not there. Uh, when Thomas later shows up, they tell this man uh, what they've seen, but Thomas is not convinced. He's hearing eyewitness talk from no more than, no fewer rather than 10 of his closest friends who he spent the last three years with watching Jesus, watching him heal the sick, watching him raise the dead, watching him open blinded eyes and set the captives free, watching him have the lame get up and walk, watching people be so excited that, they, that Jesus was there to heal that his friends would bust a hole in the roof to drop somebody down. They've watched him feed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. They've watched him do over and over all of these things. They watched him cast out demons. They watched him bring the, kick the people out, the, the money changers out of the temple. They watched him do all of this stuff. So there is no way that these people that are talking to Thomas would not know what Jesus looked like. They, have, they would have a no problem identifying him, but Thomas is not anybody's fool. People just don't get up and walk around after they've died and been buried and put a stone in front of the tomb and a seal on the tomb and some Roman guards in front of the tomb. People don't get up after that. And no matter uh, 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 the eyewitness testimony, no matter that it's unanimous, claiming that Jesus is alive is not enough to sway Thomas. But a week later, Thomas finds himself face to face with Jesus and invited to touch the nail prints in his hands and the wound in his side. Ah. And so there is the appearance before the 10. Let the church say appearance. Uh, there are two type of people at this appearance. There are fearful ones and there is a faithful one. Uh, the disciples are meeting behind a closed door. The text I read in your reading says that they were assembled for fear of the Jews. I say it again and I'll say it over and over again. It's, it's in style to be a Christian right now. It's, it's in style to sit up in a church. It's in style to say that you are a believer amongst these people. It's in style to even be a pastor sometimes. Uh, but 
that was not the case back then. People were executed for their belief. They were dipped in boiling oil. They had to fight lions. They were being persecuted. And their leader has just eight days ago, or eight, uh, three days ago, rather, by this time, but then eight days later, they have been executed like a common criminal, and now the tomb is empty. They watch their leader get executed, and they are hiding. They're not regrouping. They're not strategizing. They're not trying. They are hiding. They are scared. And they are fearful. But in their fear, the faithful one shows up. The faithful one by the name of Jesus. And he comforts them. Suddenly, Jesus appears showing them the hands and his side. And the good news is about that is that even when we fail, Jesus is still faithful. Even though we have fallen short, Jesus is still reaching out to us, still coming with to us while we are still hiding, knowing that we messed up. He gives them the gift of peace twice. He comforts them. The state of physical ease and, uh, and freedom from pain or constraint. The easing or alleviation of a person's feelings or distress. Consolation, solace, condolence, sympathy, fellow feeling, commiseration. He comforts them. Amen. Jesus would have been well within his rights to have risen from the dead and say, you know what, I need a new 12. This ain't working out. We're not growing together. Uh, or as they say in corporate talk, we're going to go in a different direction. <laughs> well within it. Everybody, Peter denied him three times. Everybody else was gone. The only people that stayed were some women. The only people that went to the tomb first. All these disciples are gone. And not only have they deserted him, they are hiding. But yet and still, he still goes to them and forgives them over and over and over again. We've been forgiven over and over and over again. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus comes to them and he doesn't chastise them. He comforts them and says, peace be with you. Uh, he not only comforts them, he commissions them. Let the church say commission. commission. It's an instruction, a command, a duty to give into a person or a group of people. A group of people officially charged with a particular function. Uh, to give an order to authorize the production of something such as a building, a piece of equipment, or a work of art. To bring something newly produced, such as a factory or machine, into working condition. This witnessing that he's telling them to do is an action verb. He says to be a witness. Peace to you. First time. Peace to you the second time. And then he says, as a father has sent me, I also send you. We kind of got this thing mixed up. We kind of think the church is about what's going on inside. Uh, the very Greek word that they use for church, ecclesia, in the Bible, not once in the Bible are they talking about a building. Not once are they talking about an edifice. It's people on the move going out to make disciples. Not sit somewhere and say, oh, look how beautiful our building is. 
Oh, this is nice. What kind of floor is this? What kind of pews you got? Oh, that's a nice pulpit. No, we're supposed to be out in the world making disciples. And so he says, as the father has sent me, I also send you. And then he gives them something to go out with the Holy Spirit. Uh, He gives them a command, a commission, and he comforts them. Even though they deserve chastisement. Uh, This is the seventh and the last sign that he gives them. In the, in the gospel according to John, they, re, they don't refer to them as miracles. They're signs. And it's the miraculous deliverance of Jesus from death through the resurrection. And then showing them the proof that he is who he said he is by the wounds, by the battle scars, by the things that he went through. And then he gives them the Holy Spirit. He breathes it upon them. And they are to become his spirit-filled witnesses and so we have uh, the appearance before the ten and now we go from the appearance before the ten to the appearance before Thomas and he is reluctant Uh, the reason one would say that he is reluctant is because he was absent when Jesus first appeared to the disciples and can't believe their wonderful report And I I try to remove from my vocabulary the phrase doubting Thomas. I remove that from my vocabulary uh, because Thomas did not believe the report. And everybody wants to bash Thomas for not believing the report. But the first person to see, if you read uh, chapter 20 on your own, the first person to see uh, Jesus was Mary Magdalene. First off, she tells them on the first Easter sermon that Jesus is risen from the dead, that the tomb is empty. And the disciples don't believe her. I ain't never heard nobody say doubting Mary Magdalene. I'm just, ain't nobody said Mary Magdalene doubted. And then when we go to the gospel according to Mark and, 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 and other gospels, when the disciples get there, they don't believe. The disciples don't believe. Matter of fact, even before Jesus is crucified, Peter say, I don't know the man. Three times before the, cro- the cock crows. I don't know the man. Don't nobody ever say doubting Peter. But somehow, because Thomas said, I don't believe y'all, because we was all just the other day hiding, because we were scared. Now, all of a sudden, y'all don't got some backbone. I don't believe that, because we still in the house. Amen. We still hiding in the house. And you telling me you seen Jesus. But Thomas gets the bad rap. And Thomas's doubt in this opportunity is not lead to disloyalty. He is still listed as one of the twelve. They don't call him Thomas who betrayed Jesus. And he says he has the reason for not believing because he wasn't there. And he has the requirements. He says he will not believe unless he sees and touches the wounds of Jesus. And then there is recognition by Thomas. 
this manifestation, invitation, and adoration, Jesus suddenly appears. And Thomas is invited to feel Jesus' wounds. And Thomas falls to his knees and worships. And in verse 28 is where we get, uh, where he says, my Lord and my God. That's powerful. That's powerful for reasons we may not realize, but that's powerful because uh, if you call yourself a Trinitarian Christian, you believe that Jesus is God just as well as God the Father is God and God the Holy Spirit is God. But this is the first time we have a person calling Jesus God, my Lord and my God. The first time a disciple refers to the divinity of Jesus and we have made the word Lord almost a common Christian statement, a common godly term. But during that time, they were calling Caesar Lord. They were calling Caesar King. And, and so when they talk about Jesus being King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the first king of the, the, of the other kings, those other kings were more secular. And those other lords are more secular. And so when he calls him my Lord and my God, I hear Thomas saying that Jesus is Lord over the secular and the divine. He's Lord over the, 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 the modern day, the plain stuff we go through and the spiritual stuff. My Lord and my God. Thomas was saying that Jesus was Lord and Jesus was God. And as this adoration comes in observation, Jesus says, you believe because you have seen me. A little bit of a translation issue uh, uh, there. Uh, But the Greek says, uh, depending on the translation that you read, the Greek says that actually reads like a question. We've tried to take that as a scolding. Uh, You believe because you have seen me. But if you look at some translations, particularly some of the newer ones, like the, in, uh, the New Revised Standard Version, there's a question mark on it. Uh, did you believe because you see me? Uh, it's more of an observation uh, where he pronounces a special blessing on the people and says that blessed are those who believe without eyewitness testimony. Sort of like the Beatitudes. Blessed are those that mourn because they'll rejoice. Those kind of things. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. It reads like a beatitude. So if you need to have the evidence, that's fine. But you are really blessed if you believe without it. Blessed are those who believe, who who, blessed are those who haven't seen and believe me any way. And so I don't doubt Thomas. I don't, I try to remove the word doubting Thomas. Because he only was looking for the evidence. And he didn't trust the eyewitness testimony. And some of us don't trust the eyewitness testimony. Some of us don't trust even though we've woken up every morning in our right minds with food on our tables and clothes on our backs. Some of us don't trust because we've been protected from dangers seen and unseen. Some of us don't trust because we don't believe when it says that many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord will deliver us. Some of us don't trust even though we've seen that the Bible says that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Some of us don't trust. So I don't fault Thomas. Because as I researched the history of the church, I learned, number one, that that Thomas was the only one of the uh, 12 that actually left outside of the Jerusalem area to go start churches. 
Peter and James and John and all of them, they kind of stuck around the same cities, going to the same places. But once Thomas was able to put his hand through the nail-scarred hands and put his hand inside of the pierced side, he went all as far as he could possibly go to spread the word of Jesus. And he says that now that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and believe in him, that you will have everlasting life. Uh -uh. Says that that in truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book, but are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's okay to doubt. The doubt does not mean disloyalty. But can I help you with some of that doubt? We ain't found the body yet. Yes, I know I have a bachelor's and two master's degrees, and that is not proper English, but I'm going to say it how I feel it. We ain't found the body yet. We done found the Rosetta Stone We done found the ruins of Pompeii. We done found the Titanic at the bottom of the ocean. We done found the Terracotta Army, which was the first dynasty of China. We done found a whole bunch of stuff. There are mathematical problems that when they came out, it was like 24 or 48 unsolvable problems. Most of them are solved now, but we ain't found the body. And not only have we ain't found the body, Lies don't hold up under pressure. Ah, if they had stolen the body to make it up, first of all, hallucinations don't happen in a group. If they pump this room full of laughing gas, if they pump this room full of something that would make us hallucinate, we would all see something different. We, we would all see something different, but everybody said they saw Jesus. Amen. Furthermore, the lie does not hold up under pressure. All right. uh, let, me, let me walk down. Uh, oh, so, so, my children, or any children for that matter, when you want the truth, you can put a little pressure on them. Who ate out the cookie jar? I don't know. Well, let me take my belt off and ask again. Who ate from the cookie? Billy did it. I'm going to take away that iPad if you don't do your homework. They're going to do that homework. The truth will last under pressure. And so when you look at disciples being stabbed and dipped in boiling oil and crucified and Peter being crucified upside down, all because they did not want to turn back on the fact that they had seen Jesus when simply saying that they had made it up would have spared them their lives, would have spared them having to fight lions, would have spared them having to be dipped in oil, would have spared them from being stoned. The truth remained. And these things were written that you may believe that Jesus 
is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you would have life in his name. That name that causes demons to tremble. That name that every enemy is defeated by. That name that every knee shall bow and tongue confess. That name that has power. That name that has healing. That name that has deliverance. Kings and kingdoms shall all fade away. But there is something about that name. That name had power when it came down through 42 generations. That name had power when they said that it was God with us. Emmanuel, peace be unto us. That name had power when it healed the sick. That name had power when it raised the dead. That name had power when it got whipped with a cat of nine tails. That name had power when it had to wear a crown of thorns. That name had power when it went all the way to Golgotha, the place of the skull, also known as Calvary. That name had power when it hung on that cross and gave up the ghost. But that name also has power when it got up early on the third day. And that same power, that same name that got up on the third day is that same power and that same name that is in you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook. Facebook. 